What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And we are coming to you live from a couple places on the internet. We are live on YouTube. We're live on Twitch. We're live on Twitter. I can see we are not live on Facebook, despite trying. Yeah, suck it, Facebook. Uh, Yeah, there you go. But maybe you're listening to us later in a couple of different places. Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. It is all good. Now, meanwhile... I'll just mention right here at the top, even though we got a lot of awesome guests for you all tonight, I'm one of our co-hosts, Justin, and maybe I'll talk about this later on the podcast. This is going to sound like a joke, but he's actually in the opera, he, the, the Metropolitan Met. Opera, like legit opera. The Opera House? Yes, he is swing for the opera, so if somebody gets sick or they break their legs, he jumps on stage and he does it, uh, but he is looking for a spot under the opera, like... I know the show was closed, but like yeah. classic Phantom of the Opera. Classic. It Justin's like, oh, yeah, there's an opening? Oh, yeah. Well, guess what? I'm going to sneak on in there. I'm yeah, going to swing into the Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Uh, so there you go. He's looking for a spot, so hopefully he'll be able to jump into the stream later on. Because when you think of Justin, you think of opera. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Ex- Can he absolutely. even sing? Uh, I was going to say, have you heard him sing? Because I haven't. Not great. <laughs> Oh, man, that's messed up. I mean, I don't know. I obviously can't sing great either. Yeah, you were all ready to be like, oh, he sucks at it. Yeah. Well, he's doing doing a comedy part. It's this new boxing opera is what I believe it is. I know, again, this sounds like a joke. Is it based on Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Yeah, it's Mike Tyson's Mm Punch-Out, the opera. Right. Right. And, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on literally any details about Mike Tyson's punch out. What's the name of, uh, like, Sweetie Boy Kim? That's not what it is. Like, who's the, who the are Sweeney you? Sweeney Todd? Not who, Sweeney Todd. Who is it, Who are you playing when you're in Mike Tyson's punch out? What's your character? Uh, you're Mike. No, you're not Mike. <laughs> I was just going to see, because you don't know. So no, I know Joe. that. The whole you're point Joe. is you're going to beat up Mike at the end. Yeah, yeah. But you're a character. Yeah. Little guy. I don't know. Somebody. Little Mac. Little Mac. That's what I was like. Not Sweetie Boy Kim. (laughs) Sweetie Boy Kim and Little Mac. You get those confused all the time. They're very close. It's the same letters. You just kind of reverse them. Anyway, maybe he will be here or maybe he will be under the opera. We don't really know. But I'll tell you what. Why don't we bring in our first guest here rather than... My cold-addled brain trying to make sense of what's going on with video games that came out decades ago. They are the creators of Count Dante, a new book that is going to be coming out from Scout Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, Wes Watson and J.C. Barber, hello, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Uh, So, ooh, I'm sorry about all the digging. Pete is texting Justin right now. We're trying to figure this out. Uh, I've never heard any digging, man. It's all in your head. Oh, oh God, this is going really bad. (laughs) In any case, uh, very excited to chat about this book, Count Dante, the most dangerous man in the world. You guys seem pretty nice, on the other hand. Uh, (laughs) What was... It's the... the, uh unauthorized mm. sort of true story of the deadliest man who ever lived. All right. Uh, well, uh, talk about this a little bit because uh, we, when we mentioned this in the Patreon Slack, there was at least one person who was like, whoa, Count Dante, is that for real? Are you talking about that? I had never heard of him. And I assume some of our audience hasn't heard of him as well. So before we even get to the comic book, who is he and what made him the most dangerous man alive? Well, <clears throat> what made him the most dangerous man alive is really is his his image of himself. You know, he I don't know if you could actually say he was, but he uh, he was this um, martial arts expert in Chicago in the 70s who ran a couple of dojos. And nice. um, he was uh, quite a hustler. He was about 50 percent con man and 50 percent badass. Oh, that's a perfect combo right there. Yeah, I think right? that's a as far as percentage wise, that's yeah. that's nice. Yeah, that's not too bad. And yeah. he um I think we say in the comic, you know, he was a, a cape wearing, hairdressing, used car selling, karate master. And that was that's those were all jobs that he held. I mean, he, he styled hair um while he was also running a used car lot, while he was also running these dojos. Um, but he was he was a he was a man with outsized ambitions and 
He really uh, wanted to become a star, a superstar of the martial arts world. He created a persona. His real name is John Timothy Kean, but he created a persona, Count Juan Rafael Dante, and a whole backstory, which is, you know, flimsy at best, but it was, you know, he was a Span he was Spanish royalty hiding here in America. And um, he used that to, to become something of a superstar for a very brief period of time in the, in the, the world of martial arts. I mean, he was on covers of uh, Black Belt magazine and they, oh, wow. they had, you know, he had, it was around the time when Bruce Lee died. So they tried him out in Hollywood and um, he didn't know how to pull his punches. So that didn't last very long. <laughs> um, and so, and he held these, very controversial blood sport tournaments where they basically was, you know, there was no rules other than, you know, gouge and hurt someone. Wow. And um, it made him very controversial in the world of, of martial arts. Um, but it also kind of made him a star for a brief period. And he, he, uh, he ended up have, ending in a, in a rather ignominious, uh, mysterious way. Um, but he's, a, you know, he's a fascinating character and, I think you're not alone. I, I would say 90% of people have not heard of him at this point. Um, if you go back, uh, Wes was the one who, who found it and came to me with the, with, with the, with the idea. Um, if you go down that rabbit hole, you'll find they had stories, newspaper stories on them all through in Chicago during the time. And um, he was, you know, pretty well known then, but now no one, no one uses I mean, believe me, every time we tell people, about doing the story, it's the same reaction, basically, like, Jesus Christ, who is that sounds crazy. <laughs> you know? Well, Wes, if you were the guy who discovered him, what was interesting to you about this Count Dante character? How did you find out about him? Yeah, I, uh, so, um, JC will tell you that uh, he usually reads more, more of the modern, I read more of the old stuff, you know, on, on average. So I was reading a, I, I think it was an old detective or Batman book. It was, it was, you know, early seventies, you know, and, uh, and there was this ad in, in the book and, uh, you know, it, it looks crazy. It's this guy and he's, you know, he's in this weird pose, he strange hair. And, uh, and, and, you know, if you were a kid in the seventies, you could send off and he would send you a manual that would teach you a death punch, a dim mock punch. And, uh, you know, it was right up there with, you know, everything else you would find in, you know, comic books at the time with the, you know, the x-ray vision goggles and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. it, was just, it was just unreal. I don't know how many times I'd seen the ad before, but it didn't register. And so I was like, well, I got to know who this crazy person is. And I started <laughs> looking it up and, and, you know, we'll always say, you know, we, we kind of fell down the rabbit hole. And that's what happens because as soon as you as soon as you start to look into it, um, there, there's there's way more than just this ad. And he he was a crazy person, but you know what we found was uh, one of my favorite things that I've I've read over and over again, which is you know a lot of people will say well he was full of shit you know, and a lot of a lot of people don't think he was he was good for martial arts, um, but then they'll say. You know, like he, he, you know, everything he said was a lie and, and, uh, or half of what he said was a lie and he was, you know, he's a crazy person. And then they'd say, oh, but he could fight. Yeah. And <laughs> there, there were a few people that would test this. You know, they would see this uh, person at a gas station. He would roll up in this like a uh, big boat of a 70s car and it would have nice. a, you know, a Spanish uh, royalty crest on the side. He would get out. You know, uh, with his cape Spanish. on, and you know, they'd say, well, you know, who's this asshole? You know, and uh, and 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 it was a bad idea. You know, um, so really, what it came down to was we were just floored that you know he's he's not more well known, and and as we looked into it, we're like, we've got to do something with this. Well. well Oh, go ahead. If Pete. I could jump in, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. a lot of great stuff you just mentioned. Uh, let me back up the truck first, though, and just say, like, uh, I love uh, what you guys got behind you and stuff. It really makes me feel like I'm in Artist Alley a little bit. You got your signs up and stuff and the Count Dante posters, which is great. Uh, secondly, also, you, you brought up, like, the old X-Ray Vision ads and stuff. That's one of the great things about this is... There's so much going on in this book. There's so many cool aspects to it. You guys have really layered this with a lot of ideas. People are getting a lot for their money 
Uh, not only does it look cool and have this unique story, but then also you've got the fake ads in there that I loved. Oh, man, it was like a nostalgia bath uh, with comedy infused in it. Uh, it was just so unique and cool, like the dad bod ad, the turning comics to money ad, just some funny, great stuff in there. Uh, so I well, just want to read the small stuff, too. Though. That's awesome to hear because I, all the little ones I always worry that people might have passed over. But, yeah, that was you know, that was an idea early on. We had a, a buddy uh, that we were when we were first talking about doing the comic. He just kind of threw it out there. He said, because since it was inspired by an ad, he, he thought it would be funny if we wouldn't. It, he was just like, wouldn't it be funny if you guys did a bunch of silly ads kind of parodying the old 1970s ads and um at one point we needed like extra pages early on in one of the first few books and Wes and I were just like well let's make up some ads and then it became a thing you know and so then so then we just kind of dove into it and started making up crazy silly ads all of them parodies of the 1970s existing ads but taken to you know crazy i love the army men one too which one the army men oh yeah (laughs) yeah the yeah like the hr director and yeah 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 yeah. you got to use the hr director last time (laughs) uh well just to get back to the content of the book uh beyond the ads a little bit so you've got this real life character who obviously is exaggerating his life a bit anyway yeah. That said, what did you feel like in terms of the line of your responsibility to present this person accurately versus exaggerating him in a similar way for effect for the comic book? Where where did that yeah. line fall for you? That's a really good question. Um, I think uh, Wes once said uh, in another interview that we did that we kind of leaned into his image of himself when we created this. Um, which is true. Uh, we didn't, it, it, it should not be confused with any sort of actual history of Count Dante. Um, we went to fantastical and ridiculous links with it. Um, there are a number of things in the book that are true, or at least have been reported to be true. But, you know, we just took them to ridiculous links. And I, I mean, I, we sort of felt like the, the, the hope was that people would read this and have a good time because it's kind of a parody or a pastiche of like 1970s um, Luke Cage and Iron Fist comics and that sort of vibe. But we hoped that they would read it, giggle, have a good time, and then maybe go down the rabbit hole like we did and start looking, you know, out of curiosity at, the, at all the real stories, which honestly... Um, are in another way equally crazy. I mean, they're real, but they're equally crazy. There's, you know, there's suspicions that he was involved in like a $1.5 million heist that was um, with the the mafia. And um, there's, you know, just a number of things that are a little more real, a little less um, funny or cartoonish, but are still every bit, you know, crazy and, and weird and fascinating. Uh, we got a question here from YouTube. This is from Derek Mainhart. The art style is very 70s, Wes. What artists were you looking at for inspiration? Well, uh, yeah, the anything that was in the, you know, um, burn on, on Iron Fist, uh, you know, uh, Luke Cage, you know, anything from the 70s. I, I don't know if I was actually looking at anything at the time where I was you know saying i want to i want to look just like that i know when i was looking at um the early luke cage i I love the color um we didn't go straight to that was that was a big conversation with paula early on um because there's there's a lot of limitations in the color of of the 70s um it looks great uh but with this being the first book um that i had first you know first pages i penciled inked all that um some of the things we needed to get done with color were things that you wouldn't probably have done in the 70s um so there we we do use half tones but they're they're half tones for effect not half tones as part of a printing process um but that means that we also were doing some gradients you know where where we thought we needed to do that so we we you know 
uh, just like the book, we took liberties. So um, it was more to, to get the feel of, not exactly to, um, you know, uh, replicate a 70s book. Yeah. Um, so just logistically, the first issue is going to be out on April 19th. Is that correct? Which is April, tomorrow. April 26th now. They oh, April 26th. It. Okay. Yeah, they pushed it a week. Yeah, and but I, I think I can also say I mean you you sent us five issues, so you guys are pretty much done with it at this point. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Wes is still working uh, on a couple of pages for the last one, but it's pretty much he'll have it by the end of this weekend. I think pretty much. Wes, is that true? Confirmed. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I'm going to okay. send over. Uh, I, I send color corrections back to Paula. And when I send this next batch, there will be one one page left. I wanted yeah. to do just a little bit of stuff left, you know, on that. And then uh, there's a cover that's seventy uh, percent done. So as soon as I get a get a little time to work that out, but yeah, it's it's very close. It's in the home stretch until until uh, you know if we hear that we need like another cover or something mm -hmm. later, which you know. I had I had other other uh, variants already made for other issues down the line, but then they all got bumped to one. So there's there's at least two covers of mine that have never I don't think they've ever been put out there. And then there's another cover by another artist that, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I guess I can say that, but yeah, there there are other covers out there that'll be like whatnot, you know. Yeah. The, you see this cover back here, that yeah. one right there, which yeah. is. I mean, incredible, right? Yeah, um, definitely. There's the homage to um, Deadly Hands. Um, yeah. That originally, Wes originally intended that to be later in the series, I think. Was that three or two, Wes? But they decided they wanted it. Uh, Scout wanted it as one of our specialty covers. So it's um, it's now along with uh, the other two um, for, for the first issue. Well, I tore through those five issues, man. They're, it's a fun read. It's uh, it's really great and uh, very rewarding. Well, I'm glad you like it. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, given that you guys are almost done with this one, are you looking forward to the next title, or are you just looking forward to finally getting this out next week? Yeah, I think maybe the latter. More. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I'm working on some stuff. Wes uh, is uh, working on something as well, a little... He's got a child on the way, so he's Ooh. he's got his hands full. The um, ultimate comic book. Yeah. Yeah, I've so, got a big project in the other room, which is uh, outfitting the nursery. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so at some point in the future, um, you know, there's there's more stuff to be done. But right now, we just like to enjoy the, the aspect of getting this out there a little bit, you know. Uh, before I let you go, we do have one question here from YouTube, which I think is directly relevant because it kind of comes up in the book. But who would win in a fight, Count Dante or Chuck Norris? Oh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, gosh, that's a good question. Because Chuck we, Norris makes an appearance in there. And uh, by the transitive property in the comic, uh, Dante would have would have won a fight between uh, Chuck and me. I think no matter what happens, I think Dante would have told people later that he had won. So. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, congrats on the book. It's very fun. I'm excited for people to finally see it next yeah, week. Yeah, congrats. Thanks for having us. All right. And hey, uh, Mark Russell's on uh, soon. He's a, he's, he's a writing hero of mine. The guy's brilliant. So oh, I might just awesome. hang around in your, your green room back here yeah, and just watch, watch that interview. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for coming awesome. on, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. There we go. Once again, the book is called Count Dante. It's out next week, April 26th from Scout Comics. Very fun. Definitely check it out. Uh, and we are going to bring, as cleverly teased, I love this with the guests, queue up the next guest. Oh, um, yeah, the guest, guest doing your job for you there. <laughs> I don't even need to say this part. We know who's coming in, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Russell. Hello, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Uh, thank you so much for coming. Welcome. You have a bunch of oh. things, the irons of the fire. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right word. But yeah. right now you got two things uh, that are pretty big. One, Second Coming Trinity from Ahoy Comics just came nice. out, I believe. And uh, then you've also got Bunk Bed Mishaps on Kickstarter. <laughs> I want to start with that first because this yeah. is a very different project for you. We certainly know you from your comic book work. We love 
everything that you do. We love reading your books, you know, from whether it's DC or um, the Ahoy comic stuff or otherwise. Uh, but this this is something that I, I think is like I, I would hearken more towards being like far side in a way, like sort of short yeah. cartoons. Is that That's fair? That's probably an accurate, at least within my framework description. It's like probably my far side. There's no, by which I mean, there's no real connection from cartoon to cartoon. And they all seem to sort of take place in this universe that doesn't really exist. You know, they are all kind of like uh, independent universes where, you know, sometimes they're, they are like scenes from movies that were never made or just parts of conversations that never happened. I don't know, frankly, where these these comics come from, uh, but I've been drawing them for a long time. And yeah, they're definitely very different than my comics. So uh, apologies in advance for anyone who's uh, buying it, expecting, you know, with, <laughs> you know traveling to Mars or, uh, or Snagglepuss or something. Well, what uh, what specifically spurred you on to put these out there? Was it just having the volume of content necessary to create a book, or was there something yeah, else that drove you? Yeah, a couple on? things. It was like one, I, I, you know, I've got like a, hundreds of these things, and I thought, well, it'd be cool to like, you know, let people see them because I, I think, you know, I, I for a long time I was kind of embarrassed by them, and then like recently I rediscovered these aren't bad. These are just, you know, who I was, you know, when I was drawing them and who I. You know, it's a different part of me than that I you see in my writing, and um, also, you know, I thought it'd be cool to have something that I could give to people, or you know, have at the cons that they they couldn't really get anywhere else. Because I don't see this being a big seller in the book bookstores and stuff, but it'd be it, it, I think it will people will really love it if they see it like like at a convention table or something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that definitely feels like the sort of thing where, like you're saying, you come up for a Flintstones or a Staglepuss or whatever, and you're like, oh, what's this? What's this thing that doesn't look like these other things? Let me get that. <laughs> right. If you, if you look at, like, a table with all my comics and stuff, this would be the one. This one does not like the, is not like the others. <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, and uh, a lot of times at conventions, I, I, I talk to people, and they've already, you know, bought everything that I have. And, you know, it's like. We, and I enjoy talking to people, and but but a lot of times, you know, but it'd be nice to have something like say, well, you don't have this, or you know, here's something new. Yeah, you're gonna get that one person who's like, well, I also have that. Yeah, tomorrow. no, they, but you know, also, you know, it's just fun for me because I've always kind of, you know, I started, I was drawing cartoons. I've drawn cartoons longer than I've been a writer, and it was always kind of my dream to have a book of my own cartoons or be syndicated, be in a major newspaper. Uh, and now that major newspapers don't really exist anymore, uh, the uh, the book of cartoons is as close as I'll get. Well, that's awesome. I really love the the name. Um, it's just such a fun thing that makes me think of my childhood, like growing up, uh, living that bunk bed lifestyle with my brother. So can you talk a little bit about, like, is this kind of like uh comedy geared towards a certain style or or, or what is the kind of uh well, i think it, they're it's they're all pretty absurd i think it's okay. more, more absurdist comedy and the name is kind of like i think just sort of embodies the, the sense that uh you know something's going on in the top bunk that's gonna like crash and destroy everything below and that's kind of the way i think about like my imagination where it is when it's coming up with these cartoons it's like this is like somebody jumping on the top bunk of a bunk bed. <laughs> I love well, it. this is also beyond the cartoon book of it all. This is also your first Kickstarter, I believe. And I'll note, with 15 days to go as we're taping it, your pledged goal, you're looking for 5,000. You're already at 7,814. So yeah, that's you've done nice. it, which is awesome. Uh, what, what's been your Kickstarter experience so far? How's it been for you? It's been great, you know, mostly because I've gotten a lot of help from people who knew what they were doing, uh, as opposed to myself. Nice. I, I was just sort of an, uh, an ingenue. I didn't really know anything about Kickstarter or how to do anything, but I, I've gotten a lot of great advice from, from old veterans at this sort of thing, and it really helped. Yeah. Uh, are you so obviously you can get the book I know I was looking through and you have a bunch of like different cornucopias and things do you have a stretch goal at this point as well since you've surpassed the main goal yeah um, I should probably put that on the actual Kickstarter but my, my hope is to get to 10,000 the idea being 
that I can uh, use the the profits to like print a bunch of extra books to keep in my garage. So that I've got like a ton of books just to bring to conventions or free comic book day or to just give to like friends or fans who have everything else. I, I like the idea that you're going to put the stretch goal, keep a couple of books in my garage. <laughs> 5,000 more dollars, wow. please. Such great, grand ambitions in life. <laughs> uh, well, this is very cool. I'm very excited to read yeah. this book. The other book that you have coming out, though, as we mentioned, is uh, the third part of the Second Coming trilogy, Second Coming Trinity. Now, before we get to it, uh, the book proper, I did want to mention that we have a uh, professional chef that we work with, Brett Macris, a.k.a. Stray Bullet. Pete? Stray Bullies. There you go. You like to say it that way. And uh, every once in a while, when we have a guest here, he will design a drink based on something that they created. And so he created a book, uh, wow. a drink called The Trinity, which I did not make tonight because I'm very much under the weather and sneezy, but it sounds delicious. And he put up a little picture of it, and it looks delicious. But it, yeah, I just did a screen cap. I'm going to make that later. Yeah, uh, we'll send it to you. We'll send it to you. Oh, okay. It's uh, gin, dry vermouth, sweet vermouth, orange juice, Agnostera bitters, and orange peel. Uh, oh, and gin there and you juice, go. I love it. Gin and juice, yeah. right in your right in your wheelhouse. So there you go. I'm very excited to try it once I actually kick this cold. Sounds like an excellent source of vitamin C. Yeah, oh. exactly. You All should right, I'll be right it. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right it's going to help you, this drink. <laughs> right, I can't afford not to drink it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there you go. Uh, so Second Coming Trinity, though, this, uh, so just to, to kind of like throw it out as a framing, when the first Second Coming book came out, it was a huge deal. And not just in terms of a huge deal of like, it was a good book because it was a good book, but in terms of a lot of people were very upset about the idea of a super bad character and the actual Jesus hanging out together. Um, <laughs> you're now several books down the line are you still getting that same sort of blowback to this book or has that calmed down at all? No, not getting any really. Uh, I think the irony is that almost all the outrage and, you know, anger over this book came before anybody had read a single page of it, you know, right. And, and I, <laughs> at the time I sort of naively imagined, I understand that the, the, the concept, the premise sounds a little iffy. I mean, most of my, most of my ideas sound a little iffy, uh, they usually sound like this is going to be a, a terrible book, <laughs> but, um, but I thought, you know, at least back then that people would at least give it a shot before they, they, uh, you know, came to judgments about it. That was you know, my own naivete because of course in, in comic books, everyone has an opinion the moment it's announced. Uh, and so they had their day, you know, the, the critics, you know, they, they, they controlled the narrative from the time it was announced until the time it came out. And so all anybody knew about it was what they were hearing, you know, people on Fox News or uh, in, you know, the um, in the blogosphere saying about it. None of whom knew what they were talking about because none of them had, had read a single page of it. Uh, and and then when it finally did come out, all of that sort of like speculation and, and feigned outrage just sort of disappeared because hmm. one, it was too late to stop it. And two, it was, you know, they were all wrong. They didn't know what they were talking about. Um and what's happened since then, and in fact, it actually worked out pretty well for me because the the controversy and the uh, got a lot of people to notice it who wouldn't have noticed it otherwise. And a lot of people, you know, were in, just read it because they were intrigued because they'd heard about it, you know, or were planning to hate read it. And I had a number of people contact me saying, "I I I bought this with the idea that I would be." burning it later that i would this would be, be a quick trip to my incinerator but it was actually much more pro-christ and, and thoughtful more of a thoughtful take on christianity than they had mm -hmm. uh, they, they'd imagined it would be and, and they've, they've since become fans so i uh you know i consider that to be sort of an, uh, a testament to how how well the book uh turned out and yeah, also you know I, I feel like the people that have stuck around since then are, are the people who are just genuinely enjoying it. Uh, I do want to talk about the book proper, but I think just this pivots nicely off of what you were just saying. we got a question here from YouTube. You write a lot about the underpinnings of belief systems. What is it about the workings of religion that fascinates you? Well, I think the overriding thing that fascinates me in general, uh, the, the sort of thing underpinnings maybe all my writing, is the idea that you know we need 
we need so much as human beings because we got these massive brains that can keep us awake at night asking questions. Well, what happens after I die? Or, you know, am I going to be alive tomorrow? You know, what, you know, is there anything out there uh, that I don't know about? And so we need answers to those. But our, our need for those very, our very real need for those answers gets co-opted by the institutions that are, that, that say they have those answers. And and these institutions, whether they be churches or organized religions that were created to be an asset to our spiritual life, it, it, at some point it reverses itself and our spiritual lives become assets to these institutions. And that's kind of what I write about, about how institutions co-opt our needs to, to for their own survival at our expense. Wow. Uh, well, let's talk about this book itself, because I think it takes... Uh, not necessarily turns probably the wrong word, but it, it definitely f- changes the focus in a big way where at least in the first issue, you almost have, without getting too much into spoilers, our two characters that we've been following are almost side characters in a certain way. And you have instead this mastermind, villainous Lex Luthor type character who takes front stage. What was the idea there? Why was that important for this particular book? Well, it sets up a lot of what happens in the third volume uh and also it it reinforces the theme of the uh of the series which i think is like you have to be very careful about how you use power because you know you're creating every every time you you defeat one villain or every time you use power you're creating a villain you know you're radicalizing somebody every time you you know um you beat somebody up so forgiveness and compassion are much better tools for for fixing the world than you know violence and we see the fruits of that in this one where you know we see the roots of sunstar and cranius and and it turns out like it was a beef they had in high school that ultimately culminates in cranius causing this earthquake which just which kills hundreds of people in, in in um urban city where so uh, this this particular first issue doesn't necessarily deal too much with Jesus, like even less so than the previous books. Yeah, he's he's in the back babysitting. They're pretty much this whole issue. So <laughs> is is he going to come more to the forefront over the course of the series? Presumably, yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the main storylines is about Jesus trying to get his own church off the ground <laughs> in some you know dilapidated downtown real estate across the the street, um, as fate would have it, from the uh, the city's mega church. And uh, and then, yeah, the other half is about Sunstar and Sheila trying to raise a baby that has all the same superpowers that he does. And it's something that both Sunstar and Jesus know something about being a child with, with superpowers. And in fact, we get a scene, we get some scenes from Christ's childhood and about, you know, what a nightmare it was to like have this this little kid who had the same thoughts and, you know, you know, uh, sort of like. This, the same sort of brattiness as other little kids, but what the powers of the son of God. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's very much about how sort of premature acquisition of power, which is, I think what you could say, the, the fate is the state, the entire human race is in at this moment is incredibly dangerous, not only to the person who has it, but to everyone around them. I think you touched on this a little bit before, but writing Jesus very specifically as a character over this many issues, has this made you reevaluate your relationship with religion at all? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a very religious household, but uh, it's, it's not a religion I would care to repeat. It's not, you know, something that I, uh, I, you know, I I found it really uh, repressive and not really meaningful to me on a spiritual level. And so I just sort of threw it all out and I sort of dismissed it in the Bible and everything is just kind of being nonsense. You know, a friend later said to me, it's like, well, are you, are you sure you didn't just, you know, swear off barbers because you got a bad haircut? (laughs) And I said, well, you know, maybe they got a point. And so I started writing a book about the Bible and started reading the Bible again. And yeah, I was kind of surprised at how much of it I just thought was really profound and wise. And so I thought, well, the problem wasn't necessarily with the Bible or with Christianity, it was with the, the, the flavor I was raised in. It was like the, the version that, you know, only spoon fed me 1% of the Bible that they felt I needed to, you know, keep me eating my vegetables and sitting down in class, you know, they the, the parts that were useful to them, not the parts that were useful to me. And that's sort of been my critique of religion since then is that it, it's you, that religions aren't good if they are giving 
believers what the faith needs rather than giving the, the believers what the believer needs to have faith. And, uh, and, and so I, I think any religion, if it works and, and can be a positive force in your life, if it helps you make sense of, you know, your place in the universe, if it makes you feel like, I think everyone's true religion is whatever it is, makes them feel like their existence was not a mistake. And for different people, that will be different things. You know, for some people, it's, you know, movies, uh, you know, it could be tennis. I don't know. But I, but I think this is what people have to find is like, well, what is it that makes me feel like I'm here for a purpose and not necessarily just resign themselves to the religious tradition they were raised in? Uh, we got one here. This is this is a big one, uh, I guess. The, you discussed the limits of forgiveness in this issue. What would you say constitutes something that is beyond forgiving? Well, I think what Cranius does is kind of beyond forgiving. I mean, he kills hundreds of people, and he does it to settle a high school beef with the Sunstar. That's, that's, I mean, to me, I think all sort of human evil kind of like roots down to pettiness. I feel like that's sort of the root of all evil. Like you... Uh, taking small insults and making them bigger than they really are and react overreacting or reacting in a way that that harms more than just the person you are you have a have a grief with uh so i i think that that yeah we um that's really the task is i think forgiveness is to um to sort of keep the pot from boiling over to um compassion and forgiveness are both to sort of like keep that us from getting that point where human pettiness is driving the car. Hmm. Oh, awesome. uh, this one is from Dad. It's actually a, two parts. I'll read the first part here and put the second part up on the screen. You seem to have a really solid understanding of politics. A lot of comics writers reveal a limited understanding when they try to write about politics or social issues. What are some books or comic writers who do understand real-world politics and social issues? Well, I really like, uh, I mean, the... the, uh, the like American Flag by Howard Shaken, I thought was was a great comic uh, for that. I think also um, one of my favorite sort of social commentary, but not really over overtly done. Uh, one of my favorite single issue comics of all time was uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, Ramadan issue mm-hmm. in Sandman. I think it's issue number fifty, and it was written during the uh, during the uh, the original, or no, it was written during the Iraq War when it, when it started, and it was. Uh, it was about this storyteller in Baghdad during its glorious age. And then at the end, you see them telling the story and they're in Baghdad and it's in ruins. And to me, it was just such a poignant image of like the downfall of a civilization. Uh, I just felt that was really deftly done, but there's a lot. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people writing really good social commentary right now in comics. I think in part because there's just so much to say. Uh, I've loved uh, Matt Boers's uh, justice warriors comic that he did with Ahoy about, uh, you know, a future where uh, sort of a Judge Dredd sort of spoof where everyone lives or there's like the bubble city, but, but most people have to live outside it and outside it's just sort of lawless and chaotic. and yeah. the, not, the not to interrupt with a plug, but oh. we're actually having uh, Matt Boers and oh, great. Ben Clarkson on next week on the Perfect. show to talk about. That's it. so another good tea up there. This is great. Yeah, and I, and I just want to say thank you to JC Barber for the, uh, for the kind words earlier. Uh, that 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 Count Dante comic sounds off the wall. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Uh, I, I mean, I'll give a little bit of follow-up here on the other side of the spectrum, not the other side of the spectrum, but beyond having a really good understanding of politics and social issues in your work, you also have a good understanding of humor, which is not easy to do. So who are some other writers or creators you look at that you feel like are doing humor well in books or that you're enjoying right now? Well, I just mentioned Matt Bores. He, yeah. I think he, he does it extremely well. Uh, also, I, I uh, really like. There's not a lot of funny comics out there, which is weird because the, they call they call the medium comics, but most of them are not very comical. But I also find uh, Ice Cream Man really darkly funny. Oh, uh, yeah, that's one of my faves. Uh, yeah, and uh, I don't. And then I think pretty much most of the good humor comics right now and I, i'm not trying to be self-serving when i say this but i think most of them come out on, on ahoy because i think they've made that their their mission is the to be sort of the funny vertigo and so i think like the the gimmick or blacksmith or uh wrong earth uh these are all like like really funny comics so i think you can 
it's, it's, I think I think I would if you're interested in some humor based com comics, uh, I would maybe go just check out and see what what Ahoy titles your local shop is carrying. I mean, this maybe answers that then the. Uh, a lot of your work is published by Ahoy. Is there something about their approach that matches your sensibility? Is that, is that it? <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. The that they are sort of the um, the funny vertigo, which you know is how they sort of that was their elevator pitch to me when we first started talking. It was weird because it, it was very fateful. Like I was I uh, was at a uh, New York Comic Con. I think it was 2018 New York Comic Con, and I was just coming back to my hotel from the convention. And I saw Stuart Moore in the, the lobby. And so I thought, oh, you know, because I knew Stuart from, from D.C. So I thought, oh, I'll go say hi to Stuart. And Stuart was with Tom Pyre and uh, Hart Seeley. And they were forming Ahoy Comics at that table when I, when I went up and said hello. And so we all just sort of got to talking. And it was just you know, those moments when, when fate shines on you. Uh, nice. But, yeah, it, I feel like in a lot of ways we were sort of meant for each other, that my sensibilities, I think, like right for Ahoy and, and they're like the perfect publisher for, uh, for my sensibility. Well, and right. certainly you've taken things very far. Uh, there is, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting the name wrong, but billionaire dog. Is that the name of the actual book? Uh, business dog, business uh, dog. But, but billionaire Island is the name of the comic. That's right. Sorry. I, I mixed them up, but that obviously takes things very far in terms of what you can do. But I also think in your mainstream work, like, I'm thinking very specifically of the Superman Lex Luthor thing that you did as part of, I'm getting all the names wrong, I'm blaming this on my cold, but the uh, the Future Imperfect or whatever that event oh, was. Uh, Imperious Lex. Imperious, uh, Lex. Imperious Lex. That took yeah. things pretty far as well, like certainly for DC Comics. Uh, do, yeah. do you feel like... Do they put restrictions on you at all in terms of like, yeah, this is how far you can go, eighty percent politically, ninety percent politically, or they're like go wild? I don't think they really. Yeah, I don't think they uh, they really care. If there is a limit, I, I I haven't hit it yet. I think they're more concerned about like uh, continuity or uh, this is not anything. This character, I had one scene in Wonder Twins where Lex Luthor was was trapped in outer space in a spaceship because he was uh he was up there to try to escape this calamity that was going on earth and i just had him like alone up there like laying on his back on the spaceship like singing to himself and they said no you can't do that lex luther would never sort of like sing to himself like that <laughs> uh but that's the sort of thing they care about not necessarily you know oh, you you've gone too far this is going to upset people yeah cool um it before we let you go, is there anything else you're working on that you want to talk about? Obviously, there's are two big projects. You got the Kickstarter, you got uh, Second Coming Trinity, which has just started to come out. Uh, but what else have you got? Well, one thing I definitely want to talk about, both because I'm extremely proud of it and because I think it doesn't, you know, it, it probably has flown under the radar a little bit, is uh, my new series with, uh, with a blaze called Traveling to Mars, which is about a the first man mission to Mars and the person they send to Mars is they send because he's terminally ill. So they don't have to like bring him back. So it's about <laughs> man's one way mission to Mars. And he is, uh, it's largely about his, you know, regrets and it's all kind of told through his diary that he's writing on the way to Mars. And he's joined on his mission by a couple of like artificially intelligent Mars, Mars rovers, uh, that are sort of his companions and they've never met a human being before. So to, to them, he's sort of like a god, huh. you know, and, and they don't know that, you know, he basically was just like an assistant pet store manager up until like a week before, <laughs> you know, he was launched to Mars. Um, but it, it's, it's, I feel like it's one of the best things I've ever written. And, and again, it's cool. full of like my sort of like meditations on, on mortality and what it means to have lived. And I'm very proud of it. And so I, I hope people will check out traveling to Mars. Nice. Awesome. And that's from, you said it was from Ablaze. Is that what it's yeah. coming from? Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I, I had no idea about that. I will definitely have to check that yeah, out. Check that out. That's so cool. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure to chat. Congratulations on everything. Uh, and good luck. Yeah, thank, thank you very you. much. All right. There we go. Awesome. Once again, that's Mark Russell. The books you can check out are Second Coming Trinity, which is coming out right now from Ahoy, and also Bunk Bed Mishaps on Kickstarter. Yeah, And folks, we are going to move on to our next section, which is my favorite section, because you will all make it up. It is your audience questions. 
And for audience questions, all you got to do is drop a question in the comments and we will get to them. Now, as I mentioned, I am drinking water for being very sick reasons. Uh, Pete, what are you drinking so I can live vicariously through you? Uh, I'm drinking a Maryland beer. It's called Dr. Juicy. Dr. Juicy? Yeah. Wow, is it juicy or does it taste like doctors? Uh, it's mostly uh, doctors, yeah. It's got a uh, it's got a hops that's surfing, and it's uh, uh, from uh, Silver Branch Brewing. It's uh, pretty tasty. Very, very hoppy, very uh, delicious. It's nice, light flavor. I enjoyed it. Excellent. Uh, well, very cool. Uh, obviously, Justin is maybe not broadcasting from the bottom of the uh, opera. So yeah, we got. I got a text that said he couldn't find a Wi-Fi hotspot good enough to uh, uh, be able to join us. So he's stuck in the in the basement of the opera. I'm sure nothing crazy will happen to him. You know, while he's stuck in the basement of the opera, absolutely yeah. not. Do you think, uh, Pete? You were a big fan of the Phantom of the Opera when it was at the Pantages. Is that the what gloriously it was? restored Pantages Theater? Yeah, it was were good you, times. Were you watching video of the last performances of Phantom this past weekend? Yeah, was... just having flashbacks. You know, holding my blankie, just crying my eyes out. It was lovely. Man. Um, Beautiful. Uh, I just wanted to point out somebody's uh, uh, criticizing Nat Townsend in the comments, and I'm here for it. Guys, feel free to jump in, lump on them, just you know, attack them any any way you can. Uh, I'm all about it. Uh, this is tied into it. Ooh, no, sorry, not that one. <laughs> this is from Stray Bullet. Uh, do you currently or have you ever had an arch nemesis? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I have many throughout my life. Uh, my brother, for most of my life, has been my arch nemesis. Uh, but the whole reason I have the real Pete LePage on my socials is because uh, there is an evil Pete LePage out there. And at the time I was working for the Apple store and he was w working down the street at the Google store. And uh, sometimes we'd cross paths and uh, and I constantly offered to fight him, but he never took me up on it. Mm. I, I don't think I have a formal arch ne nemesis or anything like that, but there's definitely people, particularly in entertainment journalism, who I'm like, oh, God damn it, that son of a bitch. Really? They, I, they'll... They'll never know. Because they never scoop tell them. you on things? Or because no, they're just because funnier I, I, than you are? Or more because attractive? Because they're smarter and more yeah. talented? Yeah, all of that stuff. No, I think it's just like people that I don't like the attitude of how they treat fans or the entertainment, and it drives me a little nuts mm. uh, about it. More than anything, I, I don't want to use any details because I don't even want to tip my hand to folks that I'm thinking about. But it's definitely, I don't know, it's the sort of thing where, like, I generally try to be open to all opinions. But there's some people who are like, why do you keep doing this this way? Why do, it, it makes me very frustrated. And then, I'm, then I wonder, like, why am I so involved and why am I so worked up about it? But yeah, interesting. I don't know. We don't have to get... This is Pete. This is my therapy session, right? Oh, well, this is good. This is good to get this stuff out. I also like how we have stray bullies, and then there's now somebody called Stray Beans. Ooh. Uh, shots fired. Shots fired. Stray Schreikler asks, what are some examples of comics not written by Mark that surprised you with the depth of the political or other serious meditation? Hmm. I mean, I don't know if it surprised me. We use this example all the time, but Concrete is probably one of the best thinking man comics because it's literally him sitting there and thinking through stuff and the meaning of life the entire time. And I, if I remember correctly, I haven't read it in a while, but each volume of Concrete really is Concrete exploring another part of the human experience. So that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like Alex Robinson does it with his books. Uh, you know, it's a lot of slice of life stuff, but it's also some kind of like deeper stuff. Um, so yeah, like too cool to get to be forgotten. I bring up a lot. That's uh, that's one for me that always gets me in the feels. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ooh, this is a this is a tough one. This is from Nat Towson. Do you Don't. think Marvel can and should recast Kang? Does that post credit sequence make it harder? Uh, now, Justin and I talked about this a little bit on the Marvel Vision podcast. So we haven't gotten your take. Pete, do you, it kind of looks like you don't even want to touch this one. Well, 
I, yeah, I definitely don't. I want some time to go by, some things to happen, to get some, uh, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not touching this. <laughs> All right, I'll touch it, I guess. I'll put my hand on that stove. So, first of all, to work backwards, does the post-credit sequence in Ant-Man of the Wasp Quantumania make it harder to recast Jonathan Majors as Kang? It certainly makes it weirder, I think, because there were hundreds of him there. It wasn't like, you know, everybody has been like, oh, you could say it's a variant of Kang. And sure, but we've already seen several hundred variants of Kang, which other than a lizard were all Jonathan Majors. So to then change it to another person is strange. It will take more Although adjustment. Although Lizard Kang was my favorite, so... Yes. It would take more adjustment, I think, than the Edward Norton to Mark Ruffalo or Don che- uh, Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle switches, because that was like one character, one character, there's plenty of time. This is somebody who they were setting up as like, this is our next big guy, this is going to be everything, everything is Jonathan Majors. So to pivot to somebody else, particularly when they've talked him up so much... Even beyond the post-credit sequence, it's it's weird for fans. That's the fan perspective. In terms of the, do you think Marvel Cat and Risha cast should recast Kang? That ties into what we do or do not know about a domestic abuse case, and that's the part that I don't think we should be touching. Like yeah. ultimately, I think they should, as a company, be exploring and talking about possibilities here. What I don't think they should be doing which I worry they're doing, is waiting and being like, eh, people will memory hole this with enough time. We'll just kind of like move on and not worry about it and not mention it at all. I think that's a bad strategy. I think the thing that they probably will do, most likely, if I'm being like very callous in Hollywood about it, is they'll do some sort of... He'll come out and say, uh, yes, I've had some troubles in my past, but I'm doing the work on myself. I'm... Uh, seeing people to help me out, and Marvel's been really supportive in this process. And then they'll try to move on from there. Whether they can or not, I don't know. That is not my place to say. Uh, but I, again, I think they should be exploring possibilities here if they're not, is what I would say. There you go. Bad situation that involves real people, and that's the main thing that it comes down to. Yeah. Um, let's see... Uh, Stray Beans, I'm not going to touch that. Sorry, Strange Beans. Uh, all the game, some box office analysis says, who had Puss in Boots 480 million outperforming Quantumania 474 million? Pete, you called that like three years ago, right? I remember you saying, you like your eyes rolled back in your head and you were yeah. like, Quantumania 474 million. Yeah, I started, possible. don't forget it, I started floating. Don't forget that part. I know, yeah. I remember. It was terrifying. Yeah. But I, Puss in Boots is just a solid from start to finish. I mean, it's a great movie. So, you know, good for the for the bo- Puss and the Boots. <laughs> but, yep, good for them both. Yep. The whole team. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think anybody had that. But Quantumania was bad enough that it just didn't have any legs to it. And Puss in Boots, meanwhile, not only is it a good, fun movie, but it's one of the only real family movies that's come out in a really long time. I think... Everybody's wondering why Mario is doing so well as well. <clears throat> I think part of the reason for that is there's no movies to take kids to, you know? So there you go. This is from Prime NRG. Do you think streaming services like Netflix have changed, will change how comics have to be released, especially with how Marvel DC will have storylines span many different comic series? Pete? Alex? <laughs> Wait, no, I got to put it on mute because I got to sneeze. You take this oh, one okay, first. sure, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, doing a little uh, just soft shoe in here while uh, Alex is taking care of business. Uh, I don't know what you're asking, but I do think that, uh, you know, streaming services have changed the game, and um, I don't know how that affects comics, but uh, sure. I think uh, Prime Energy is asking about the binge model, right? Just saying, do you think... You can keep releasing Marvel and DC Comics once a month at 20 pages when you can get an entire 22-hour, not probably not 22-hour, but like 10-hour TV show over the course of a weekend uh, that provides way more entertainment for relatively way less money. Yeah, but what are you trying to do? Crank out comics faster? Like, you can't do that. Like, they're already going at breakneck speeds to get these comics to us once a month do them live you know like fucking do it live (laughs) exactly i mean that stuff where they had it like weekly 
you know, we talked to people. They talked about how crazy stressful it was. It was amazing, but I do think that eventually the art suffers for it. So, I don't know, man. I want to find a nice, happy median where people are cranking out good content and not uh, feeling too rushed about it. Um, I think binging is cool, but I don't want it to fuck with my comics and how my comics come out. I like the way that they're happening, and uh, you well, know, I feel good. Well, here's the thing, though. It's already here. It's not here necessarily for Marvel and DC, but it's here on, like, Webtoon, for example. There are people that are putting out stuff every single day, new content, or at least once a week. It's definitely much more frequently, and it provides that need and fills that need more than the monthly comics do. And I, I do think, you know, at least in part, they're coming around to realize it. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks back, but Archie Comics has big ethyl energy that they're doing over on Webtoon. I think Marvel and DC have done some stuff as well. So similarly, Marvel has the Unlimited comics, which I think are a little shorter, if I remember correctly, and also come out more frequently. So I think they understand it. I don't think they will be able to change the system for monthly print comics because... If that was going to happen, it would have happened over the beginning of the pandemic when there was all that push and pull on things. And the system with brick and mortar comic book stores is just too strong. So it would take something more seismic than a deadly pandemic to change that system. So I don't think it's necessarily going to change that anytime soon. And it's not necessarily Netflix. Uh, let's see. Do we have anything else here? Ooh, here we go. Uh, been listening to the Lock and Key podcast and wondering if Pete still hates Wells. What about Orson Wells? Ah, the answer ha, ha, is ha. yes. You literally mentioned how much you hated Wells yesterday. Yeah, I went on a big rant on Justin. I felt bad because the look in his face was a little hurt by uh, me hating on Wells so much. But, um, you know, he grew up in a creepy lifestyle that uh, scares me. So... Of course, as somebody who's detached from their feelings, I'm going to lash out about that. You know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, slowly working through it. So hopefully life will get easier. Yep. Um, here we go. Stanley says, are you going to watch or review more old DC movies? Absolutely. We're going to be doing those on the Sons of a Gun podcast. So subscribe and stay tuned for that. I think the next one we'll have coming up at some point is Batman Returns. So as we Ooh. gear up for the Flash movie. And uh, this is from Frederico Rosa. Who do you guys think is the best recent original character from Marvel DC? Wow. Uh, I, you know, I say this a bunch, but uh, I love Amadeus Cho. Um, I think it was just such a cool uh, uh, move uh, on Marvel, and uh, it really led to some kind of interesting things. And his team up of Hercules is some of my favorite comics. So, yeah. Uh, gosh, recent original character. We were just talking the other day about both Miles Morales and Miss Marvel. They're not necessarily recent at this point, but yeah, Miss Marvel for sure has been. Yeah, they've had like huge lasting appeal. On the DC side, I felt very conflicted about this character originally, but he's really grown on me. Ghostmaker, uh, the yeah. Batman character. Yeah. Uh, you did not like when he first... I was all bottom when he first showed up, and you were like, stupid name, man. I don't know about this guy. Yeah, we had, but, He said this friend we didn't know about this whole time. Oh, okay. But I don't know. It works. He's a fun character. So there yeah. you go. Great. Um, ooh, this is a good one from Danny Heck. Which MCU character would you transport to Riverdale? Ooh. Uh, I'm going to say Cyclops, and hopefully he dies. Yeah! MCU character? That's right. No, MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, fuck. I mean, I'll throw out there while you're thinking about something. I think uh, Kat Dennings Darcy would fit in just fine. Oh, you took mine. That's great, though. Right. Also, Jimmy Woo, just to like keep going with the WandaVision theme. Oh, yeah. and They both uh, have a fun time there. I, I'll get tired of him doing that yeah, uh, card trick, I'll tell you that. Exactly. I could see yeah. Jimmy Woo showing Jughead some close-up magic. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, I'm into it. Let's make yeah. it happen. Uh, let's see... Oh, gosh, there's so many comments here. Nat, you're um, a weirdo. Uh, yes. Um, well, there you go. I, I think we could probably wrap up there. There's a bunch of great comments and suggestions, uh, but we are going to finish up and move on to our next section, 
which is trivia. And for that, I'm going to turn it over to Pete LePage. All right. This is the part we give back to you, the lovely audience. It's an opportunity to win 25 free dollars to Midtown Comics or uh, Long John Silver's. Do you still have Long John Silver cards? Please tell me that's over. I mean, I never had the cards, but I'll buy them. Oh, wow. The fact that you were going so hard for uh, LJS there, I, I don't know, man. Uh, but yeah, all right. Uh, and we have somebody, right? We do. We have, we have Daddy Heck. Hello, Daddy. Hey! Welcome. Hey. Hey. Yeah. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah. yeah, we can hear you. And Hi. we know that you are a Southside Serpent. So congratulations. Yes. You got the yes, tat. You got the tat. Uh, not yet. I'm getting. I'm working on getting it on my left butt okay. cheek. But we'll, we'll <laughs> all right. But you've done. You've done the serpent dance. So you're good. Yeah, there. I have. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he was there for it. This is my boyfriend, Ira. Oh, hey. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. All right. Pete, you ready to do some trivia? Oh, sure, sure. I was just having the fun uh, with the kind of moment with Danny here. But all right, fine. Let's move on. <laughs> all right, cool. Uh, today's trivia is on topical comic news. And a small nod to the legend, Elizabeth Hubbard, R.I.P. Please listen to all three options before making your selection. Here we go. Question number one. Gears of War developer Cliff Bezinansky is co-writing an image comic called Blank. Is it A, Beers of War, B, Scrapper, or C, Colleen Zank? So one uh, option A is just a fun idea that I'm trying to pitch, or you could choose B. I'm going to choose B. You are correct. Yeah, Scrapper. Interested to check that out. Should be pretty cool. It's about stray dogs. You hear that, stray bullies? All right, here we go. Question number two. IDW will be celebrating 40 years of blank with a 100-page special. Sounds awesome. Is it A, My Little Pony, B, Scott Summers is a Tool, or C, Scott <laughs> Holmes? What do you think? Oh, don't ask me. A. <laughs> A is correct. Correct. Well done. Yeah, don't overthink these. Okay, last one. What is returning on August 16th to Marvel Comics? Is it A, good X-Men stories, shots fired, Jordan D. White, or B, <laughs> Alpha Flight, or is it C, Mora West? I'm going to say B. B is correct, and oh my God, there's adorable cat in the frame. Hello. <laughs> yes, that's Princess. Oh, um, adorable Princess of okay. Power. We've lost Pete, about. unfortunately, but congratulations. <laughs> you've gotten either a $25 gift card to Midtown Comics or Log John Silvers. Which one do you think you're going to go for? You know, I do love me a fish taco, but I'm going to say Midtown Comics. <laughs> All right. Good call. Nice. All right. All right. We will get you set up with that. Just hit us up. Uh, hit us up on the Slack and we'll uh, get it all set up. And uh, do you have a guess as to what movie Pete was doing a tribute to? I don't know. Uh, was it a movie? Uh, this is uh, this is old school television stuff right here. Ooh. Oh, yeah. so I'm going to say, uh, what, the Carol Burnett show? I don't know. Ooh, close. <laughs> not close. Kevin. Uh, here's the world, and then it is turning. I'm talking. The world turns. Yeah, that's right. I'm talking <laughs> wow. about the 1956 to 2010 TV show uh, "As the World Turns." Wow, amazing, Daddy! Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, congratulations on the gift card, and uh, we'll check it out. Yeah, time. thanks for uh, uh, showing us a little slice of your life there. That was really cool. <laughs> thanks, guys. Have a good night. Good thanks, luck with Kevin. the tat. Thanks. <laughs> All right, there we go. Now, before we start to wrap up here, as we all know, comic books are coming out oh, this man. week. We love comic books. Lots yeah. of stuff to choose from. Pete, what are you looking forward to? I'll tell you, there's a lot of great comics that I'm looking forward to uh, talking with you about, fighting with you about. There's going to be some real interesting things going on. Oh, boy. Okay. But I'm looking forward to DC Silent Tales, number one, as well as Punisher, number 11. Let's go. Excellent choices. Uh, Things I'm curious to check out. She-Hulk number 12 is coming out from Marvel. Love that book from Rainbow Rowell. Extra large issue. It is. It's an anniversary issue, so that's pretty exciting. And also, uh, No One number two from Image Comics. This continues the massive verse. Really dug the first issue of that, so I'm excited to check out the second one. And folks, that is it for this week's show. 
couple of people we want to thank. We want to thank Mark Russell for coming on to talk about Second Coming Trinity, as well as Bunk Bed Mishaps, which is now on Kickstarter. Also, J.C. Barber and Wes Watson for Count Dante, which is coming out from Scout Comics next week. It's very fun. Definitely check that out. As we mentioned earlier, Ben Clarkson and Matt Boers are going to be here to talk about Justice Warriors next week. Also, Nick Patara is going to be back to talk about the end of Axe Wielder John, a book that we really enjoyed uh, from his kickoff about a year ago. Also, we mentioned this earlier, but Sons of a Gun, our DC podcast, is ongoing. Check that out. Also, Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast. We're putting that up once a week as well. Riverdale After Dark, a Riverdale podcast is uh, once a week. I'm really enjoying uh, Danny's boyfriend dancing. Uh, it's very cute. You guys can't see it, but it's cute. Uh, Patreon.com slash comic book club to support this show and all those shows we do. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, good night. Oh, yay! Don't <laughs> 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 <laughs>